Well, it's wonderful to be here. We've had 10 days of um, moving in and settling and figuring things out and our first rides on the metro and uh, exploring some of the wonders of this amazing, never-ending city. You know, I think I told you we came from a city of 20,000 and God added four or five zeros to that and now we find ourselves here. Um, it's been a great time and I'll tell you, part of that is just the warmth of your reception to us this week. And Douglas has been so incredibly helpful to us. The deacons have been the same. Uh, Suzanne and I both said this week, we've never, we've lived in a lot of different cultures and countries, but we've never had such a nice and easy entry into a new place as we have had here. So thank you for that. And um, I mentioned to Nathaniel this last week, it may be just simply because I mentioned that I'm a friend of Nathaniel's. So you rolled out the red carpet and uh, welcomed us so warmly and we appreciate that we want to continue to get to know you we've had a chance to do that several times this week with a number of you so i uh, just would encourage you that just because we're here six months i hope that won't deter you from reaching out and let's connect with coffee or go for a bike ride i love to do cycling and uh, or however it might be a meal together we can drop by and uh, we just want would like to get to know you while we're here and uh, build into your lives and you into ours. And so that's an open invitation for Suzanne and me. And so we want to, to do that. We've enjoyed that opportunity. And I want you to know uh, you have a, a wonderfully warm church and wonderful leadership. Your deacons have reached out and been so gracious to us, our meeting together. Um, your staff has been done the same thing. So you can be very proud of them. They are representing you extremely well. And uh, as we look into God's word today, I just trust that God will open our hearts and focus our mind. I always believe when we sit in a service together that God has something for each one of us. Now, you may say, no, God doesn't even know my name. He doesn't know my address. He doesn't know anything about me. And I tell you, he absolutely does. And I believe God's got a message for each one of us through something that happens in this service today. Maybe it's, it's already you. Maybe you've already gotten it. Maybe it was in a song or a prayer or something someone said to you. We trust it also is enhanced as we look into his word together in the Bible. And as you get to know me, uh, you'll discover that one of the uh, abilities, gifts, I don't have, among a long list, of course, is I'm not much of an artist. I am lucky to put together some good stick, stick figures that you can figure out what they look like. Uh, so I'm always amazed at someone who can put on a canvas or paper um, something that's a lot more better than feeble stick figures. Uh, that's why we're looking forward to exploring some of the wonderful museums of this city. In fact, we, this last week, they shut the electricity off in our apartment for the day. So we said, let's go explore. We went to the uh, art museum downtown. It was wonderful, beautiful experience in the display. So if you have a, a don't miss museum or a cultural place, you say, oh, you got to see this while you're in San Paulo. We'd love to know about it. We'd love to explore that because we want to get to know this city. But because I don't have that art gift myself, I'm always impressed by someone who does have it. As someone who can put together, um, you've got a little hint of what we're gonna see. <laughs> someone who can put together something as remarkable as this lady on the video clip does with her child's scribbles. So 
somebody in the first service said I didn't quite understand the idea, the word scribbles. Well, scribbles were what was on that left page, this kind of thing, scribbles. Impressive that somebody can take that scribbles and make a piece of art out of it. Uh, but even more impressive, just imagine if, if somebody could do that kind of work in our lives. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, I mean, take the scribbles, the messes of our lives and make something artistic or even beautiful out of them. I don't know about you, but that would impress me. Uh, and probably it would impress me because I have a few messes and scribbles in my life that I wish weren't there, but I wish could be taken and changed and made something beautiful out of. I gladly hand over those life's scribbles and messes to an artist who could make something really good out of them, something beautiful. And I suspect, if we were to be real honest with each other, you have some of those in your life as well. Because we all long for something in our lives, those messes and scribbles. We all wish something could be made extraordinary out of them, that they could be changed or not necessarily can't erase them, but they could be transformed. We all wish we could take those scribbles of our lives and do to them what this lady did with the scribbles on the paper of her daughter. And we're not alone in that desire. I think that's been on the heart of men and women since we were created. It certainly is on the heart of some people we meet in the Bible. In fact, it was on the heart and desire longing for the person who wrote the book that we started last week, a little book in the New Testament called Philippians. We find that its author had that same longing for the ordinary scribbles of his life, that someone would take those and would make something extraordinary out of them. That's why I love the journey that we're taking these next few weeks through this little book called Philippians. We've, we've titled this series, Unchained Living. Today's sermon is just a life of purpose, is how I've titled it. But we learn how something extraordinary can come out of our ordinary lives. In a minute, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and that'll be in chapter 1. Uh, of verse 12 of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible or it's on your device, however you like to carry it, I invite you to find the book of Philippians. It's toward the back half of your New Testament. If you need to go to your table of contents, don't, don't mind doing that. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, you need one, just catch one of the ushers here or Douglas or Carrie, and they'll get you a Bible for this morning. If you need a Bible to take with you, we've got some nice Bibles that at a very reasonable price, you can take one of those home as well. But before we get to uh, chapter 1, verse 12, and pick up today, let me remind you a little bit about Philippians, who the author is. Uh, we know him, first of all, as the Apostle Paul. That's his title, one of the greatest leaders in the Christian church of all time, the Apostle Paul. And usually, if you're familiar with Paul's writing, he wrote some 13 of the letters in the New Testament. Usually when Paul introduces himself, he uses that title. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus in most of his letters. But that's not how he introduces himself in this epistle, this letter. We saw last week, rather in, in verse 1, 
Paul introduces himself, first with his colleague Timothy, the young man he was mentoring. And Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And so with those two words, he introduces his best friend Timothy, but he calls them not apostle, which he was, but servants of Christ. You see, that's significant because while apostle was Paul's title, servant of Christ Jesus was his story, his testimony, we, we call it. And Paul knew that testimonies often have a greater impact than titles. For example, do you remember in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Pharaoh? <laughs> Pharaoh, he had the title. But Moses, he had the testimony. He's the one we remember. Or just like Elijah, the great prophet, he had the testimony. King Ahab, he had the title. It was King Saul who had the title. But the shepherd boy, David, he had the testimony that we remember to this day. And so Paul knew that titles may impress the world, but testimonies are what makes a difference in the kingdom of God, in people's lives. Because a title is something we've maybe been handed or we earned, but a testimony is the story that God is writing in our lives that has power because it's the story of God's work in and through us. And so Paul, in his focus on this letter to his favorite church, he begins with his testimony, what God has been doing in his life, the story that's written divinely from the scribbles of his own life. And so we pick up this letter and Paul's uh, writing in chapter 1, verse 12. You can follow along as I read these opening verses. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, as we learned last week, Paul's writing this letter from prison, most likely in Rome, in the Mamertine prison there. And even there, we discovered that he, he found joy even in the Mamertine prison of Rome. Joy from his remembrance, his partnership with the Philippians, joy from his assurance that God was going to continue his work in the uh, Philippians' lives. In fact, he says, I find joy. I'm not even discouraged or ashamed about being in prison because I know that I'm here for the, because of the preaching of the gospel. And I want you to know that preaching of the gospel, he says, has turned out for the advance of the gospel. It hasn't been curtailed or shrunk. It has moved forward even with me in chains. You see, Paul recognized that God was working behind the scenes of his life. God was still at work to take the scribbles of his life, the messes of his life, the ordinary things of his life, his stay in prison that he'd experienced several times, even in Philippi, and to turn them into something 
extraordinary for the advancement of the gospel. And isn't it, isn't it just like God to do that kind of thing? I mean to take a prison and turn it into a pulpit is essentially what he did with Paul. So when the prison guards brought Paul water, rather than complaining about the flies that are in it, the th floaties that were on the top, Paul took it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus and living water. And when he heard the other prisoners complaining about the lousy food or the lack of food, Paul took it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus being the bread of life. And in so doing, Paul was able to allow God to turn his prison into a pulpit for the gospel. And it worked. He says right here, he says, many of the brothers have, are more bold because of what they've seen God do in my story. And it's interesting, at the very end of Philippians, as Paul's wrapping things up, saying goodbye, signing off, in, in verse 22 of chapter 4, he, said, oh, he says, oh, by the way, all the saints in Caesar's household say hi. You know who that is? It's the guards that became followers of Jesus as they watched Paul take his prison and allow it to become a pulpit for the gospel. Many of them became followers of Jesus because of what they heard. That's important for us as well. How often are we tempted, or maybe we do, we think that we're captives, or victims, in the prisons of our own lives? Boy, I think that's so relevant to us in the last 18 months, isn't it? Churches, Christian ministries, I know of many of them that would have used and are using the, the coronavirus, the pandemic as the prison, and saying, oh, our ministry just has not been able to go forward. It's been curtailed. We can't do what we, God's called us to do because of the pandemic. I know Christians that have said, oh, my faith is struggling. I'm not advancing. I'm faltering in my, my faith and my belief because of the prison of this pandemic. And it may not be this, the pandemic that holds us back. There are individuals who are taken captive by just experiences of life. And they, can't, they don't progress forward. They may say, oh, oh, my finances are just so tight. I just can't move forward in my walk with God. Or my boss is so unreasonable, or the place I work is, is so unhealthy, I just can't advance forward in my Christian life. Or I'm imprisoned in a marriage that just is not going anywhere, or maybe is in shambles. Or I'm entrapped by some habit, or even some addiction, that I just can't shake, and so I just can't move forward in my life, in my walk with God. Or I'm ruined by some bad decisions I made in the past or I keep making now or some experiences I had and I just can't get on with it in my walk with Jesus. Do you know what Paul would say to all that, I think? With empathy and with compassion, I still think he'd say, stop letting the devil walk all over you and defeat you with your circumstances. I think he'd say, Move on. Let God do something, even with your circumstances. 
Let him change your prison into a pulpit like he did in Paul's life. He'd say instead of being a victim of those prisons, to claim the power and the victory of Christ that he's given you in the cross. He'd say press forward in the authority of the word of God. He'd say lay hold of your calling that God has placed on your life. He'd say, live out the victory that you have as a follower of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In other words, Paul, I think, would say, listen, just let God make something extraordinary out of your ordinary. Let him turn your prison into a pulpit for the advance of the gospel. And do you know why? Do you know why Paul can say that? with such assurance? Well, I'm glad you asked because he tells us right here in verse 19. He said this. He said, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That, that word help or, or provision, God's help, provision, it's an interesting uh, Greek word. It's the word from which we get our, our English word, choreography. Now, now you, that may be a word you're not familiar with if English isn't your native language. But So I don't know the Portuguese word for it. Somebody who knows the Portuguese word for choreography, shout it out, would you? Okay, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> choreography. Choreographer is the one who does the choreography. And you know what the choreographer does? He or she is the person that arranges the set, creates the designs, determines the dance and the course and the movements of the production. One lexicon paraphrases it as making an event a grand production. That's the choreographer that Paul's talking about that, that God does in our lives. Paul's saying that's what the Spirit of God does with the scribbles of our lives. He choreographs them into a divine production of his providence and his glory. Isn't that amazing? And so Paul says with utmost assurance in, in verse 20, he says, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul was confident that whatever happens to him, from being in prison to being in a pandemic, it didn't matter. God will use it all as a grand production to exalt the gospel of Christ. Wow. I think that's a wow. Do you know that's true in your life as well? If you're a follower of Jesus, that same power is available to each one of us. Do you know that the Spirit of God choreographs the movements the elements of your life just like that? Not my words. That's what the Bible says. Paul assures us of that in something he wrote to his friends in Rome. 
In Romans 8, 28, a great verse, probably many of you are familiar with it. Paul says, for God works all things together for good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I like that word all, because that means God uses all things. He doesn't discard any of them. Ah, can't deal with that one. Sorry, that's too messy. God uses all all things in our lives, brings them together for our good. He doesn't waste one scribble, one mess of your life. It means that God can even use a pandemic to advance the gospel, to grow a church, to develop a Christian follower of Jesus. That doesn't mean we like all the ingredients of our lives. We don't relish all of those messes and scribbles. I've got some I, I wish weren't there I don't like. You do too, I'm sure. It, but God uses all of them to bring something good. It's kind of like chocolate chip cookies. Do you have chocolate chip cookies in Brazil? I hope so. If you're not, you've got some great sweets, but you're missing out on a really good one. Chocolate chip cookies. It's one of the sweets I have the hardest time staying away from, quite frankly. When I see those, I'm going to have one. But you know, I don't like the ingredients of chocolate chip cookies individually, except for the chocolate chips. I can nibble on those. But I don't sit down and throw in a stick of butter. I don't choke down a, a cup of flour. I don't like to just eat a tablespoon of baking soda, or a couple of teaspoons of salt. I never just drink a glass of three raw eggs. I don't like those individual ingredients. But when all those ingredients are put together in a, in a bowl, mixed up by a skillful baker, and then when they're, they're properly mixed, they're put into an oven at the right temperature for the right period of time, you know what happens, don't you? Out comes those beautiful, brown, delicious chocolate chip cookies. Ah, I can hardly wait to have one. In fact, the, the elder ushers are going to come in and distribute chocolate chip cookies right now to everybody. No, no, I don't have any of those. I wish I did. But that's kind of an analogy of what Paul is saying here. He says, God is at work behind the scenes of our lives, taking everything that happens and mixing it together in the right way for our good. And I thought of the application to us that's probably on the front of many of our minds. Even that issue of a departing pastor, of Nathaniel and his family who have left, and we thought, oh God, how will we ever move forward? And God says, I take even a depart the departure of a pastor and I bring good, good things out of it. For Calvary, for the church that Nathaniel's going to, as I told you last week, that's why I'm confident our best days as a church are ahead of us. Because that's the kind of God we serve. That's what he does. And Paul says, whatever happens, I know it will be used by God to advance the gospel. As a pastor, uh, Warren Wearsby, 
put it in his book, Be Joyful. Perhaps some of you know of, of him. He said, when you see your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, you'll rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. I hope you get that truth because it'll make a huge difference in your life, in every event of life. Because we often complain, I'm guilty of it. I just don't see God at work in my life or in some situation. Why doesn't he fix this? I've asked him time and time again. I don't see God working. Paul would say to that, maybe with a little smirk, so what? So what? Don't you know the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 7? That we live by faith, not by sight. We, just because we don't see God at work every moment in every detail doesn't mean he's not working. When we lived in Germany uh, for several years before coming here to Sao Paulo after a year in the States, Germany doesn't see the sun very often. A lot of gray sky days. But it would be foolish, wouldn't it, for us to wake up and to say, no sun today? Well, of course there's a sun. It's just shining above the clouds. It doesn't go out just because we don't see it. The sun is still there. And that's what Jesus said. In John 5, 17, he said, my father, God, is always at work, whether you see him or not, whether you experience it today or not. God is always at work, and he's at work as the choreographer, choreographing the dance of our lives to display his plan. And so Paul can say this in verse 27. He says, so whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. And we can live a whatever happens kind of life because we see God is at work. And sometimes we don't see it, but we know he's at work by faith. By faith we know he's doing, and someday we may be able to see that as God reveals it, as we move farther along. But just because the sun isn't shining today doesn't mean the sun isn't shining. God is at work. I think that's the point of what Soren Kierkegaard meant, when he, a 19th century Danish theologian. He said, life has to be lived forward, but it can only be understood backward. I think that's profound. It means that there are times in our lives we, when we don't see the hand of God at work. But if we live by faith, we know he is at work. And then someday, we may be able to look back and see his footprints in the sand of our lives and realize, oh, he was choreographing the dance to display his glory and his grace. As one preacher put it, you cannot demystify the mystery of God. You have to trust him and know that your life is in his hand. And so Paul makes it clear that even in prison, he is going to live a whatever happens kind of life. Whatever happens will turn out with Christ being exalted, God being glorified, 
and the gospel advancing because God is working behind the scenes and mixing all those things together. And Paul knew that because he knew that he serves the one, Jesus, who also lived on the edge of whatever happens. And that was his Lord and Savior, Jesus. Because Paul knew that Jesus went from praying in a garden not too long before uh, the events of his life would begin to unfold in great suffering and agony and death. And in that garden, Jesus prayed that to his father. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Don't allow this to, to move forward. To finally, at the end of that prayer, to trusting his heavenly father. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. And then it was just a short time later, Jesus got to do it again. To live by faith, not by sight. He was hanging on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I don't see you. And then he concluded only hours later, into your hands I commit my spirit. I know that you're in control. I know your plan will be worked out. I know this will be for the good of all human history. And then it was the disciples' turn, not too long after that, to do the same thing. As Jesus' body was laid in the grave on that Friday, it looked like the devil had won the battle. It was over. How could we have been so foolish to think that he was the Messiah and he would bring the change that we needed and wanted? And then Sunday came. And they heard the words of Mary Magdalene. And she said, I have seen the Lord. And he is alive, just as he said. So what about us? Are we living with confidence like that, that God is making something extraordinary out of the ordinary things of our lives? Do you believe that he's able to create a masterpiece from the scribbles of your life? Are you confident that whatever happens in your life, that can even display God's glory and exalt Christ and be used by God for the furtherance of the gospel. It's true if we're willing to allow God to turn our prisons into a pulpit for the gospel. That's how Paul lived. That's how he gained victory in every circumstance of life. That's why he could be unchained even when he was chained in a Roman prison where he would end his life because he knew the truth that he proclaims here and writes to us, that God choreographs the dance of our lives to produce a display of his glory. That's a truth that's worth living by. That's a truth that transforms life, doesn't it? All the elements of our lives. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want you to know that's a truth and a hope that could be yours that could await you. Because life works best when we live life following Jesus. That's what can be done with the scribbles of your lives, 
when you become a follower of Jesus. Because that's what he does. When you take your life and you say, God, I want this kind of life, but I've never been able to get it. And we work hard for it and we try different avenues and nothing ever takes us to where we want to be. And then God says, well, if you do life my way, you'll get all that and much, much more. Because I'll choreograph your life to display God's glory, to advance the gospel, to give you everything in life you ever dreamed possible and so much more as a follower of Jesus. And that can be yours. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to explore that. Maybe take a step even today toward that. Say, I, I want to know more about that. I want to become a follower of Jesus. Simply by opening your life to him and saying, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sins and take control of my life from this day forward and help me become transformed to represent you and be like you in life. That's what the Bible calls having eternal life, entering into a relationship with God, becoming one of his children, becoming part of his family. If we can help you with that, discover or take that step, we'd love to talk to you. I'd love to sit down with you for a few minutes today. At the close of our service, in fact, we have our prayer team will be out here on the patio as the worship team will sing for a few minutes. If you'd like to explore that or you have other needs that you'd like for us to pray for you about, we'd invite you to come out and just take a few minutes with us on the patio. We'd love to pray for you or sit down and explain to you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or pray for you and the needs of your life. Let's pray together as we close. God, thank you that you don't discard any of the issues of life. You take them all and you mix them together and you bring good out of them. You choreograph a beautiful dance for the display of God's glory in and through our lives. Father, I pray today, maybe for those who are here this morning and they've been seeking, they've been looking for a path to, in life that will take them where they want to be. God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would draw them a step closer, maybe even to bring them into the family of God today through faith in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.